welcome you all back to our gobsmacked series. And if you're new with us here or at our 111 campus, gobsmack uh, means to be surprised or to be amazed or to be astonished. And uh, speaking of 111th, I just want to give my word of encouragement out to all of you there as you move to your new campus uh, next weekend. I hope you'll forgive me if I slip once in a while and still call you 111. And I think we should give all of you t-shirts that says, I am 95th, all right? And uh, that's, that's where God's going to use you tremendously as he's already been doing that. We just want to encourage you. I want to take you, though, this weekend to a story Uh, in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ that is full of shock, full of tension, and full of gobsmack, if you will. It's found in Luke chapter 7, so grab your Bibles and turn open to that passage of Scripture with me, if you will, please. Luke chapter 7. I brought my really big Bible uh, this weekend. Could somebody in the last row hold it for me so I can read it? Just kidding. All right. Uh, Luke chapter 7, and I want to begin at uh, verse 36. Here we go. Luke 7, verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, for a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith saved you. Go in peace. Simon invites Jesus to this meal at his house. It's like a banquet. And he has some of his other friends with him as well. And his whole desire is to 
reveal who Jesus is, to humiliate Jesus, to examine his life and find out who he really claims to be and what his teaching is really all about. But if you look at the story carefully, and you understand the customs and the traditions of the day, which most of us don't, you'll find out that the person who ends up being humiliated is Simon, the inviter. And the person whose heart is really revealed is Simon's heart. Now, the danger of this incident is that this weekend, you and I are also on display before God. And your heart and my heart is about to be revealed. And if that bothers you, you may want to start texting or leave. But if you're okay with that, I hope you hang in there. Let's start with a woman. This woman obviously had had some prior contact with Jesus. She had probably heard his message and had responded in her spirit and her heart to his grace. And her desire is to show up at this meal and acknowledge what has happened in her life and to minister to the one who has changed her life and to show some form of thanksgiving for his grace. His message was far different than the message of Simon and the Pharisees that he hung around with, his buddies. Their message about God and about forgiveness went something like this. You are a lawbreaker. Therefore, you must repent of breaking the law, you must make compensation for your sins, and you must keep the law. And for a woman like this, who more than likely was a prostitute, the idea of being able to make compensation for her many sins, it was an impossibility. And so for her, there is no hope. There is no grace. And so you can imagine how powerful Jesus' words were for her to listen to him talk about God's love, God's goodness, God's forgiveness, and God's grace. The tension in this incident started the moment that Jesus showed up at Simon's door. He is treated rudely by custom and tradition in that day he is treated rudely by Simon Simon would not have treated his other guests the way he's about to treat Jesus in essence what Simon does to Jesus is like you and me having special guests come over and we yell from our living room the doors are locked let yourself in and don't forget to close the door See, normally in Middle Eastern custom, when you come in, until, and, and still to this day in many places in the Middle East, you are met at the door by the host. You are given a kiss on either side of the face. And it's not, you know, the Hollywood mwah, mwah kind of kiss, all right? I've had this happen to me. It's just, it's, you know, when you're not used to it, it's a little weird, especially when there's this other guy that's kissing you on each side of the face, greeting you and welcoming you. 
Then the lowliest servant in the house comes with a basin of water, and they take that water, and they wash your feet, because you have, you have dirt on your feet, and they wash your hands for you. And then they take olive oil, and olive oil is spread around your hands and on your feet, and some is poured over your head as a form of refreshment, and you are welcomed into the home, and you've been treated so nicely, you've been treated so well, you just, you just feel the hospitality in the home, and generally speaking, Middle Easterners are some of the most hospitable people that, that you will meet even if you are a total stranger to them. So that Simon, so since Simon does not offer this to Jesus whatsoever, it gives us an idea of what is going on in Simon's mind and Simon's heart. He doesn't really care about Jesus. He's just troubled by Jesus, and he's willing to do anything he can to humiliate Jesus, and in essence, to call Jesus on the carpet. Now, there were people there who observed that this tradition and this custom was not being offered to Jesus. And it would have created a bit of tension in that home. The woman was already there. It would have created a bit of tension in her life to watch how the one whose message had changed her was now being treated. And Jesus could have said, hey, you know what? I'm not welcome here. Forget it. And he could have left. But he didn't. Jesus does something to ratchet the tension up another notch. He goes over and reclines at the triclinium, the low-lying table. I want to show you what it looks like. This becomes very important in order for us to understand what's happening in this story. The triclinium was just simply, the basically, three tables that are placed in a U-shape. We oftentimes think about the Last Supper taking place at this. And then what people would do is they would basically come and they would lie on their left elbow, all right, and they would then use their right hand to eat. So you can imagine Jesus coming to the head of the table, all right, and he reclines on his left elbow, right? His feet are extended behind him, and with his right, he reaches the table. And so all around the table, you have people reclining, eating with their feet extending behind them. All right? And so all the invited guests would be placed around the table like that. And so Jesus goes, and he immediately just goes to the table and, and reclines. And that, that was a point of tension because according to custom and tradition... The first person to sit down is always the senior most rabbi and the eldest rabbi, all right? And then they would follow suit. Jesus, at this point, is probably about 32 years of age. He certainly is not the oldest, most senior rabbi in the group, as they think of rabbis, And so the fact that he just comes on in and he's been totally ignored and takes his place around the triclinium, around those low-lying tables, that would have been a shocker. Who does he think he is? Oh, we know who he is, don't we? Who does he think he is sitting down like that? What is going on? What is going to happen next? Well, this sinful, immoral woman happens to be there 
and watches how Simon and his buddies are treating Jesus. Now the question is, how does she end up? Was she actually invited? Yes and no. Custom in those days, when you went to someone's house like Simon, who would have been well-to-do, is that people, because this would happen in an outside courtyard, people, the poor people, were allowed to gather outside and around the people like this, and they could observe the dinner party taking place. And when everybody was done eating, okay, these people then would come in, and guess what? You didn't have leftovers back then. Then the poor folks are allowed to come in, approach the table, and they can finish whatever is left. This woman heard that Jesus was coming to dinner. Word would spread very quickly, all right? A, you're hungry, and B, he was a rather controversial, popular figure. And so she has found her way, which took a lot of guts because she has a reputation. And somebody like her with the reputation of being an immoral woman, you'd have people kind of looking down at you. You'd have people gossiping about you. You might even have a few customers at that gathering. It took a lot of chutzpah for her to show up in front of all those people. But she's been touched by the life of Jesus. And from what we can gather in the story, it appears, it appears, and I'm taking a little different look at the story than you generally, if you've looked at the story before, maybe have heard, it appears that she is incensed, she is angered by how Simon has treated Jesus. By the fact that he has not shown Jesus the common courtesy, the common custom, and the common tradition that should have been shown to him, especially one who was a rabbi. And Simon calls him teacher, which means rabbi. And in those days, when you invited a special rabbi to your house, the least you could do was perform the customary traditions, the customary, customary obligations of welcoming them and hosting them. But again, Simon had not. Well, she didn't have a basin, and she didn't have any water, and she didn't have any towel. All she had was a flask of very expensive perfume, an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Basically, her life savings. And it appears that her intention was to take a little bit of that after the meal or right before the meal and anoint Jesus' head with it and maybe anoint his hands with it and anoint his feet, but she can't do that now. He's already reclining at the table. His head is unavailable to her and his hands are unavailable to her. All that's available to her are his feet. And I think that she decides in her mind that a Simon won't show respect to Jesus, if Simon won't show the customary obligation to Jesus, then she's going to do it. Can you imagine the looks in the room when she broke rank out of all those people who are watching? She breaks rank, walks forward. Simon's eyes glare at her with a death look. The others 
maybe perhaps push away from the table this immoral, godless woman. What on earth does she think that she's doing right now? Can you imagine the tension in the room with the other people looking at her thinking, what on earth is going on here? Simon's thoughts reveal to us, what is, you know, this woman is an immoral woman. What is going on here? And she drops at his feet, at the feet of Jesus. She doesn't have a towel. She doesn't have water. But she has tears. She begins to weep. I think those tears are mixed with several things. I think they are mixed with a sense of repentance over her past. I think they are also mixed with a sense of gratitude and a sense of joy. And she has no towel. Her cloak would have been big enough. Her dress that she could have, you know, wiped the feet of Jesus with those tears, but she doesn't. She does something audacious. She does something outrageous, prepared to be shocked even further. She uncovers her head. She lets down her hair. And with her hair, she washes his feet. With her hair, she rubs in that expensive perfume that just effused and filled the room with its scent. Now, you and I don't appreciate what she just did because we don't understand the custom. The custom in those days was that if you were a woman, you kept your hair up and you kept your hair covered. You never allowed, in public, you were not allowed to have your hair down unless you were a woman of ill repute. It said something about you. In fact, the rabbis went on to say that if a man's wife goes out into the streets and uncovers her head and lets her hair fall down, that man has the right to divorce her for that. The only time a woman lets her hair down is in the bedroom with her husband. And on the night of their honeymoon, on that very first night, after they have both committed to each other to be married for life, one of the most exciting things that happens that night is she comes into the bedroom and for the first time her husband sees her hair let down and, and the wedding goes and the, and the marriage goes on and continues in full consummation. The rabbi said that a woman's hair was, was sexually enticing and therefore a woman must keep it all covered up. We've come a long way, baby, haven't we? But that's how they viewed it. So for that woman to let her hair down and then take her hair down and then wipe his feet with her hair, wow, that was, that was scandalous. What was she doing? What she was doing is she was saying to Jesus, my heart is betrothed to you. I belong to you. Nobody else wants me, but you want me. I belong to you. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know that you belong to him too? You belong to him. Are you willing to wash the feet of Jesus? I've really been thinking a lot about that lately. You know, a lot of times we treat Jesus so so casually. We don't really appreciate him. Like Simon, we don't really appreciate Jesus. 
Yeah, the door's open. Come on in. Shut it when you're done. We're just very casual with him, and, and that, that's a shame. And I'm not talking about dress, okay? Simon was one of the best-dressed people in the house. I'm talking about the heart, our attitude, our attitude toward him, our attitude toward his presence in our life. What's your attitude toward Jesus right now? It's an attitude of awe, an attitude of worship. When you come here on a weekend, do you have an attitude of awe, an attitude of worship? I'm coming in to gather with the other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a sacred place. I'm going to get to sing to God. I'm going to give to God. I'm going to hear from God through his human servant. That's a whole different attitude, isn't it? When you get up in the morning and start your day, you start your day with the thought that, oh, I'm waking up as a child of God. God is with me. God is going with me. No matter what valley I walk through today, God is with me. Do you have that continual sense of worship in your heart? Because you're so amazed what God has done for you. We step out of the crowd. We step out of the crowd that wants to just watch Jesus. And will you minister to Jesus in front of the crowd? You know, Jesus isn't real popular in our culture today. Not the Jesus of the Bible. People are skeptical about him. People make fun of him. People ridicule him. People want to liken him to another prophet like Jeremiah or Muhammad or Confucius or Buddha or someone like that. People are intolerant of what he has said and what he has preached. Will you, in public, will you come around him and minister to him? Will you love him in front of others? Will you pray and talk about him in front of others? Will you read your scriptures in front of others? Don't talk about being obnoxious, but will you unashamedly say, No, I love him, I know him, I'm for him, I'm a follower of his? Or are we embarrassed? Do we want to stay back in the crowd because we don't want to be ridiculed with him? You see, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous theologian and martyr, said that when this woman came in and did this for Jesus, she entered into his rejection and his suffering. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says that it is an honor for us not just to share in the glory of Jesus, but to also suffer with Christ. And when you and I minister to Christ, stand for Christ, live our lives for Christ, and the world looks at us and laughs us at at us and calls us intolerant and calls us weak and calls us ignorant, instead of being down-mouthed and downcast about that, we ought to say, praise God, I get to suffer just a little bit. I get to suffer with Jesus. When I think about, when I think about our missionaries, when I think about our brothers and sisters in Christ in Indonesia and Vietnam and in India and in Myanmar and Bangladesh and all over Asia and Southeast Asia, when I see them take a stand for Christ and lose their house, lose their family, lose their income, maybe even lose their life, I'm telling you what, that's what it means to enter into the suffering of Jesus Christ. And we know very little about it. We know very little about it. But as our country and as our world grows darker and more intolerant toward God, I hope you're not going to blend into the shadows, are you? I hope you'll stand out for who you believe in and what you believe in unashamedly for Christ. The room was so filled with tension now, you can't believe it. And Jesus knew what Simon was thinking. It tells us in the text. And he says, Simon, can I tell you a little story? There's this guy, all right, and he lends 
500 pieces of silver to one, let's say $500, and $50 of silver to another, and neither of the men could repay him for the loan. So he kindly, happily forgave them both. Now, which one really loves the guy the most? And Simon, you know, he goes, well, I mean, that's kind of obvious. The, the, one that, uh, the one that, you know, was forgiven the most. And when we hear that story, right away we think about the woman, don't we? Because Jesus says, and she's, had, you know, she's got a huge debt, right? But do you realize that story also includes Simon? Because he's the one that only has the 50 was lent to him. Do you know what Jesus is saying to him? Jesus is saying to him, not only do I offer forgiveness to this woman, but Simon, guess what? God offers forgiveness to you as well. Hey, he's so full of grace, isn't he? Now, be careful you don't become like a Pharisee because, see, our, our, our tendency in our own lives is to focus on the debt and not the grace. First of all, that's a self-tendency a lot of us have, is to focus on our debt and focus how sinful we have been. And some of us have been really sinful, haven't we? And we just think, how could God ever forgive me compared to so-and-so? I am really sinful. You know what? Stop that. It's not about how sinful you are compared to somebody else. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. God has what? God has forgiven us our sins. Cast them as far as the east is from the west. Forget about your debt. Jesus paid for it. And if you've received his gift of forgiveness, stop focusing on that. But listen carefully, please, to about what I'm going to say now. Don't focus on other people's debts. That's what Simon was doing. All he could think about was how bad this woman was. Instead of thinking how good and gracious God is to forgive her. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy to look at other people and get pharisaical, isn't it? See how they live, see what they've done, see what they've said, and all of a sudden we get pompous and righteous, and and we feel like we have the right now to judge them. Instead of focusing on how bad they are, we need to focus on how good God's grace is and pray that they would encounter that same goodness and that same grace. Amen? Amen. I think one of the greatest dangers we're facing in our country right now as Christians, I'm just really worried about this, is that we'll become so sick of this world. I'm sick of the world. Believe me, what I see going on today, what you read in the paper, it just it makes you want to gag. It's so bad. We've just, re- I mean, it's an insane asylum out there. Honestly, the stuff that's going on right now in our culture is almost unbelievable happening here in America, and the tendency is to say, let's run from the world and damn the world while we're running. But Jesus said, no, go into the cesspool and show them my love and grace, because that's what Jesus did, right? Well, one of you agrees. That's what Jesus did. He waded into the cesspool of life to show grace and show forgiveness. Amen. Amen. Will you do that too? It's a lot more comfortable to sit around the table and talk about how much more, how more righteous you are than the others. But we've got to show grace and we've got to show forgiveness. Because that's what Jesus did. And then Jesus carves out space for this woman in his family, in his kingdom. And he says to Simon and the boys... There's plenty of room in my kingdom for her and the people who are like her. Publicly in front of them, he says, your sins are forgiven. 
Now go. I'm not going to kick you in the teeth for washing my feet. That's what Simon wants me to do. I'm not going to say how embarrassed I am for washing my feet. I'm not going to say that, you know, uh, this was uncalled for and asked for you to be removed. No, I let you wash my feet because I love you, because my grace drew you. You are now my daughter. Welcome into my kingdom. And I'm glad there's room for that woman in God's kingdom because that assures me there's room for you and room for me. Amen. And I can imagine this woman thinking to herself, he is willing to get hurt for me. And he doesn't even know my name. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for being willing to get hurt for me. And you do know my name. And you did know her name. I want to thank you, Father, for making room for us by going against the grain, by going against the culture. And I'm so thankful tonight that there is nobody who can say, I'm too bad for Jesus. Because you proved, oh God, no matter how bad we are, if we will accept your message of love and grace, if we will repent and receive your forgiveness, God, our sins are washed away. Our sins are washed away. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here tonight and you've never received Jesus into your heart, perhaps God has spoken to you through this incident. And you're saying, oh man, I'm not a prostitute. I haven't done anything like that woman, but... I know, I know I don't belong, and I've wondered how I can belong. You can belong tonight by giving your heart to Christ. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you tonight, would you have the courage to stand right where you are right now? I will not embarrass you. I will ask you to pray a prayer with me silently where you are. Anybody? So why why stand? Well, this woman walked out of the crowd. She wasn't embarrassed. She knew what God could do for her. How about you? Anybody? God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Lord, uh, tonight, having heard the message, we want to now give you our tithes and our offerings as just a way, not to pay you off. We can't. But just as a way to say thank you, God, Thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for what you're doing in Indonesia and Vietnam and Myanmar and all around the world. And God, we're giving you our money, which is really your money, and ask you to take it and transform it into hearing more stories of changed lives here, near, and far in Jesus' name.